Welcome to the Narrators Podcast. I'm Robert Rutherford. And I'm Andrew Orvidal. This podcast collects stories that were told at the Narrators, a monthly storytelling event that features people telling true stories based on a theme. The show takes place on the third Thursday of every month at the Deer Pile in Denver, Colorado. These stories were recorded live on October 17th, 2013, and the theme of the evening was Two Sides to Every Story. He is a writer about uh, pop culture, arts, and specifically uh, the Denver comedy scene, and he is doing an amazing job of writing about the amazing comedy scene we have in Denver. Uh, he writes for Westward. Uh, he also writes for Outfront Colorado. Uh, please help me welcome Josiah Hesse. Hey, hey, everybody. So, yeah, this was uh, a few weeks ago, and um, I've been dating, like, a little bit around that time, but ultimately, like, uh, seven or eight months earlier, I'd had, like, you know, a big epic breakup that was just really nasty, you know, like, kind of just staying in bed, listening to Rilo Kiley and Bella and Sebastian, and... Eating marijuana cookie dough and just a real mess. And, you know, like everyone else, you get through it. Like you read a bunch of books about neurology and psychology. You start seeing a therapist. And uh, it, it ended up, you know, turning out okay. Like I started feeling like really, really good about being single, which I hadn't had in years. Like I'd just been going from like one really long relationship to the other and just kind of like smothering uh, any sort of like pain or you know uh, self reflection that you have during breakups with just jumping into another relationship and everything was awesome, uh, but you know like you start uh, looking around at people and they start seeming kind of fetching after a while and uh, suddenly you know being single is uh, not the appeal that it used to be and um, yeah like I said I was dating a little bit and. Uh, I've been friends with Taylor for about a year, and uh, uh, like uh, you just said, I work with uh, work at Westward, and there was a story that was written about Taylor um, a few weeks earlier that kept popping up on our little like advertisement now trending stories. Like her face just kept popping up whenever I was on the uh, the blog, and uh, it, whenever I would see Taylor's face or like you know, hear anything about her, the same thing kept coming back to me from previous relationships. It's like, you need to find someone, Josiah, you need to find someone who shares these interests that you have. Because I'm like an incredible pop culture nerd. It, it, it's pretty much the uh, totality of my existence, of my personality. And it's difficult to find someone that, A, you're attracted to, and B, uh, shares those interests. Because most of the people that share those interests are just terrible. Uh, they're just frightening people. And, uh, yeah, so I asked her out uh, via a uh, Monty Python LP that I gave her for her birthday and a Smith song I sent to her drunkenly in the middle of the night. Uh, and it was really exciting because I really enjoyed spending time with Taylor. You know, I'd done some stories about her and had hung out with her. I'd been on her podcast and... You know, just whenever I spent time with her, it would just be incredibly relaxing because I didn't have that sort of apprehension of talking over someone when I, when I go on and on about, like, all of these, like, random nerdy pop culture things. And um, so I started getting really excited about the date and, 
you know, found myself like the day of making a mix CD for her and, you know, getting all daydreamy and, you know, something about like the end of summer and the beginning of fall that makes you very like reflective and sentimental. And I started realizing like this is the exact same place that I was in a year earlier and before I got into the previous relationship. And really with the, uh, the other two before then, uh, just like the same kind of excitement generating. And I'm like sitting there before the date making this mix CD and I'm like, Jesus Christ, what the hell am I doing? Like I'm just jumping into these same situations over and over again. Another woman, another family that I have to hang out with at Christmas, another uh, personality that I'm going to bring into my life for two years, and then we're going to have another breakup, and it's going to be like this junkie withdrawal where I'm, you know, terribly sad and jumping into bed with someone else afterward. And I just sort of feel like, you know, like a spinning gear bringing different cogs into my life uh, just like at a random time, and they're just constantly turning out. And it started to freak me out, you know? I just didn't want to go through that again. I didn't want to have the same arguments in a relationship about not having a car or how much I hate the Democratic Party or... I mean, don't get me wrong, I hate Republicans just as much. But, you know, like, you know, uh, security versus inspiration and, you know, whether college is a waste of time and all of these things that I just kept having the same arguments, the same relationship over and over... And I'm like, I'm not going out on this date. I'm not. I'm, I'm going to call her and just tell her I'm sick or, like, a story came up, like, Ringo Starr just came out as gay and I have to write about it for the blog and, uh, you know, something. And I'm like, you know, and that felt good. Like, this relaxation. Okay, well, I'm not doing it. I'm not doing it. And then I'm like, you have to do it. You know, that's just rude. You enjoy this girl's company. It's going to be a good time. Just whatever. Fuck it. Do it. And, and I'm like... Uh, I borrowed my roommate's car uh, for this um, date because uh, cars are something special, apparently, and they'd always been a source of negativity in previous relationships. And I'm just sitting in there like, like fucking uh, Cameron from Ferris Bueller's Day Off. I'm just like, I'll go, I'll go, I'll go, I'll go, I'll go, I'll go. Fuck it, fuck it, I'll go, I'll go. You know, turning on the car, turn it off. Fuck, 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 fuck. And... Eventually, I go, you know, and we meet up downtown at this restaurant that is just, like, laughably out of my price range. Um, And it's just terrible because it's wonderful. Uh, She's great. We have a great conversation. It's just, like, easy. You know, she's someone, like, I can easily talk to and and enjoy it. I mean, it's not just, like, the, the ease of not being stressed out. It's, like, genuinely pleasurable. Uh, I mean, cause, like a few times in the conversation, she gives me the line that I always give other people. The like, oh, do you know about this this thing I'm talking about? Like this this writer or this uh, this movie? Are, are you familiar with this? Nobody ever gives me those. I'm the person that gives people those, and I didn't know what she was talking about. <laughs> she actually knew these things. I, I mean, this sounds like really arrogant. Like, you know, I never run into things that I don't talk that I don't know about, but. She honestly schooled me on a lot of these things uh, that basically make up my personality, you know, these pop culture facts. Um, And, you know, we love the same books, we love the same movies, and, I mean, her podcast is named after my favorite book, High Fidelity. It's, like, the reason I became a writer. And, um, but at that point, I start getting worried about brain maps, now, for any of you who like, aren't really into neurology, uh, 
don't feel bad. It's a, it's a pretty boring subject. But like ultimately, whenever you see someone else uh, that you know, you have a map in your brain of who they are. You know that has all of these different uh, neurons firing of uh, like dopamine or. Um, you know, cortisol for stress, like if there's someone that you don't like, you have all of these different reactions that go on in your brain. Or if it's someone you're very familiar with, you have all these like positive reactions going on. But all of that is ultimately filtered through the map that you have of yourself. And for me, I pretty much, you know, growing up, I'm not going to get into details about it, but like growing up without a family or without any friends for like the first two decades, like pop culture and books and films were like my entire world. And that's basically what I made up of my whole personality. And this is ultimately what me and Taylor are connecting on. So in that moment, I'm getting really worried that I, my only like, positive reaction from her is, the, is filtered through the lens of how much I love writers and filmmakers and comedians and all these things. So is it really connection with her? Does that ultimately define her? Does this ultimately define me? I have no idea. I'm like completely lost on this date. I and mean, I'm like terribly just, you know, sweating and a wreck, and I'm worried about spending too much money, and I end up getting a parking ticket, and it's just a big stress ball for me. And I'm like, why am I putting myself through this? Why do this? You were so happy being single. It was just so great. It felt so good to be alone. And we end up going out to this play that, you know, it was just really bad, and whenever I see anything like... Whenever I see any art that's really bad, I start getting down on myself about being a snob, and that puts me in a bad mood, and I get all self-conscious. And we're walking back to the car, and you know, we're talking about ex-boyfriends uh, and ex-girlfriends and how she's no longer... She just refuses to be friends with anyone who's an ex. And that makes me really nervous, because I'm like, well, I really enjoy this girl's company. Do I want to, like, you know, jeopardize all of this, you know, just uh, so I can what, have another girlfriend, another family to hang out with at Christmas, another nephew's, you know, Montessori production of Alice in Wonderland. <laughs> uh, just another one of these things that I don't want to go through again. It's like a junkie who finally got clean and is, like, scared of going through withdrawal again. And that's a good motivating fear to keep you clean, but... <laughs> You end up just getting sucked back into old habits. Um, but yeah, we're walking to the car, and it's raining, and uh, we get in the car, and she's just, you know, looking so gorgeous, like, with, you know, the rain-soaked hair, and it was like a perfect moment in the car, and I lean in to kiss her, because it just, you know, that's what you do. You know, I, there wasn't really a whole lot of thought behind it, like whether it was a good idea or not. It was just like, this is the moment where we do this. This is how these things work. It's like stepping onto an escalator. It's just like, you let it happen. And she gives me the most conservative, tight-mouthed, you know, peck on the lips. A little like, you know, just a cute little, there you go. <laughs> and it's like, a, it's like the kiss that like, Zach Morris would give Kelly Kapowski and Saved by the Bell or like, you know, it was a Wonder Years kind of kiss. You know, something that like when I was a kid, I, that's what I dreamed kissing would be like. Uh, and, and I thought like that's what I was going for. But the, I mean, like when I was a kid, 
I had that in my head, and then I saw the movie Willow, and, you know, Val Kilmer's, like, rushing up to kiss Sorsha, and it's like this big, epic, like, collide of, you know, we're going to die soon. Let's do this. And... That's like another side of me that's like conflicting with who I really am and what I really want in a relationship. Do I want like the, you know, conservative uh, nerd friend that's like, you know, so much a part of me, like staying home every night and just getting into books and wine and records and, you know, doing the domestic thing. But then I'm like, no, you need a girl just crazy. You need that like... Uh, Kate Winslet in Eternal Sunshine and Spotless Mind. You know, you, you want a girl who, like, stalks inspiration with a predatory lust. Uh, someone who's just crazy, like in a Bell and Sebastian song. You know, but I've had that with those girls, and then we ended up in the same arguments about Democrats and cars and, you know, security versus inspiration, and it's like, I've had that as well. Is that what I really want? Is that what's good for me? I don't know. Like, and, and that's what was in my head at, at that moment. Like, when I dropped her off, it was like a big, I don't know. And, hold on a second. So, yeah, I have all this, like, emotion and frustration and, like, battling of the intellect with the emotion and I go and hang out with some friends at the Skylark because uh, a friend of ours is having a show there. But, like, I'm in this bad mood, so I just, like, walk home in the rain, you know, like a Morrissey song. You know, I'm just going to be, like, sullen. And, and it, but, I mean, it was, like, real. You know, I get home, and none of my roommates are there. And um, on the side, I work uh, to supplement my, you know, Daddy Warbucks income as a writer, uh, as a DJ. And I have all of my DJ equipment uh, set up in the living room, and since uh, like none of my roommates are home, I just like crank it to eleven and just like start mashing up different records at full volume, like not even a mashup like a like a musical rape of two records like I put together like Norwegian death metal with children 's Christian songs and like Ted Nugent with the Scissor Sisters, and just like you know full volume until it hurts and i 'm guzzling a bottle of wine, and I just want to disappear into... It's like, it's like that, uh, that click that Paul Newman talks about in Cat on a Hot Tin Roof. You know, that moment where you sort of transcend into, like, non-existence. And I, I do that for, like, two hours, just cranking it out, like, stomping my feet, like, biting my lip, and just eventually collapse on the couch and start crying. Uh, because I ultimately... I had to come to the conclusion that I don't know who I am or what I want. And it really sucks bringing other people into that. So that's how it went for me. <laughs> we'll, uh, we'll see the other side of the story. For our last storyteller and uh, the next version of what happened that evening, uh, please welcome host of award-winning podcast, These Things Matter, which can be found at thesethingsmatterpodcast.com. You can find them on iTunes. You can find them everywhere. Uh, Please welcome Taylor Gonda. Hey, guys. All right, I have three questions. That's all I want to hear from you guys. Did Josiah tell you that we went on a date? Yes. Okay. 
Did he tell you that we haven't talked about it? And did he tell you that we promised to be honest on stage here tonight? Well, we did. (laughs) We didn't talk about it all, and we said we're going to be honest. So I'm going to be honest, you guys. I hope he was honest, too. Josiah asked me out via a Smith song. He sent a Facebook message containing a link to the video for Ask. And if you're unfamiliar with the song, here are some of the lyrics. might give you a hint of what, what was to come. Shyness is nice, and shyness can stop you from doing all the things in life you'd like to do. So if there's something you'd like to try, if there's something you'd like to try, ask me. I won't say no. How could I? Very subtle. (laughs) I had known Josiah for a little over a year. We met because he reached out as a fan of my podcast, which was very flattering. Uh, And we became friends, friends through conversations about music and comedy. Over the months leading up to him asking me out, our conversations had become longer, and he began asking me, questions outside of music and he had follow-up questions and then there was a lot of attempted eye contact (laughs) so I was suspicious um on my uh on my birthday he gave me a Monty Python album which was very sweet even though he left a three dollar sticker on there (laughs) and I asked my podcasting partner Kevin I said I think Josiah might like me and he answered with a resounding duh (laughs) he's a lovely man uh there was an unspoken something and he said it aloud via Morrissey. So it was charming, also a little maddening. I was supposed to ask him, the implication being that I was definitely interested, just too shy to say anything. Shouldn't he be the one asking? He's the one doing the asking, Morrissey. Why, why is he telling me this? Uh, but he followed with another Facebook message that said, sending that song seemed like a good idea late last night, but now it seems either too obvious or too subtle. But the gist is that I like you, and I want to take you out on a date. Bam. I was flattered. Generally speaking, my friends don't ask me out. So this was a first. Um, I was impressed he had the balls to do it. At this point, I was really unsure of how I felt about him, but I wanted to give it a try. So I said yes. I mean, Josiah's a nice guy, and he is attractive. There were times I thought it might be fun to make out with him, but uh, I just didn't really ever think of him like that. I never really got Twitter-pated up until that point. Also, uh, I knew a few of the other ladies he dated, and I just thought I wasn't his type. I'm too uptight. (laughs) I'm too middle of the road, too appearing to adhere to the general values of society, like I have an office job, and I rent my own apartment, and I have a car, and I go to bed at a reasonable hour most nights, and I want to get married someday, and I don't often drink to excess often, or appear out of control, and I don't take drugs, and I'm not a bohemian, Hunter Thompson-loving, free-spirited, anarchic gypsy girl. I actually considered the idea that he may have been coerced into asking me out. I mean, he had known me for over a year. Why had the subject never come up? Maybe his therapist told him it'd be good to date a nice girl. Maybe uh, his roommates convinced him it was a good idea. Maybe he decided he'd had enough of the Bukowski life and wanted to try dating the the way that Norms did. I'm not saying I'm not worthy of his affections. I'm just, I didn't understand his motivations. Uh, I thought I had him pinned and then he made a sharp turn toward me. My other immediate thought was, what will other people think? We have lots of mutual friends, many of whom are comedians, and though the comedian crowd enjoys Josiah, they also enjoy making fun of Josiah. (laughs) He can come off as unabashedly pretentious sometimes. It's something to do with the combination of his word choice and his musical taste and the tone of his voice and the fact that he writes things in Westward that makes him sound like he knows better than you. 
And uh, he also wears skinny jeans and low-cut low tight shirts with crazy big pendant necklaces. And he smokes American Spirit cigarettes like he stepped out of one of those horrible Levi's poetry recitation commercials. <clears throat> I said I was going to be honest. I wasn't kidding. He loves Morrissey, Russell Brand, and Oasis. I mean, come on. I mean, I'm an Anglophile, but that's a bit much. But he asked me out, which was a bold move. And there was something intriguing about him. And then there was one night when I, he and I danced like insane people to Come On Eileen at Lip Gloss, a decidedly uncool song. And I'd rather have a bad time saying yes than regret saying no. So, yes, I said sure. We were both quite busy, so we scheduled a date almost three weeks away. He even suggested Beatrice and Woodsley, which made me wonder, can he afford Beatrice and Woodsley? <laughs> Indeed, all of it made me suspicious. <laughs> Making plans weeks in advance, taking me to a nice restaurant, presumably, wherein he would pay the bill. Was he trying to impress me? I guess I should be flattered. Surely this is not how he, seemingly a dedicated and staunchly bohemian dude, would go about things. I imagined his previous dates, consisting of at least one, if not several, illegal activities. Breaking and entering, mild drug use, vandalism, combined with listening to records, of course. Was he pretending to be the sort of guy he thought I would go for? What was going on here? Then there was chaos. A week before I thought the date was going to happen, he texted me, should I pick you up? Maybe I had told him the wrong day. Maybe he had misheard me. Did he even have a car? I wasn't sure, but I was driving myself insane waiting for the day, and I was in a spontaneous mood, and so I suggested that we go eat and then see a show, this show, which is happening at the Jones Theater at the Denver Center, and maybe happening again soon next year. Uh, he suggested we go to row 14 before the, before the show, another high-priced restaurant, and I said, sure. However, I was not happy with my outfit. Uh, I had dressed for work, not for a date, and so I left work two hours early so I could go to Forever 21 and H&M downtown and find a proper date outfit for $10. <laughs> The whole time telling myself this was idiotic, that he'd seen me many, many, many times before, and one dress was not going to make a difference in what he thought I looked like. But I told that voice to shut the fuck up. <laughs> this was a goddamn date. We do not go on dates looking like garbage. We pull that shit together. Even if it means spending an hour and a half frantically going through dresses made in slave labor factories and considering paying $5 for some of the shittiest quality eyeshadow I've ever seen already crumbling within its own package. Luckily, I found this dress. Pretty good. $10, not bad. I walked to the restaurant and arrived expecting to see him waiting for me. Of course, I was the first one there. I'm always fucking the first one there. So I sat down and brooded and fidgeted and looked at the wine menu with intense purpose and read over the menu, entrees at $20 minimum? What the fuck was he thinking? Does he think this is the kind of girl I am, that I have only accepted he's following some sort of unspoken rules? Has he ever gone on a date like this? I, used to, I, I was used to a version of this sort of thing, having been, having been online dating for several years now, but Josiah would never in a million years join Match.com. That's too bourgeois for him. I can't even picture him at a place like this with a girl like me. What the fuck is going on? He finally arrived, dressed in an Irish sweater that was swallowing him. I started to wonder if I could ever date a guy who was skinnier than me. <laughs> we were both really nervous, it was clear, and I think the menu intimidated him, the restaurant intimidated him, I intimidated him. He said as much. He said he never knows what to order in these sorts of places. He thought the bolognese sauce was a bologna sauce, and I corrected him because I'm an asshole. 
Our conversation, which as friends had been free-flowing, calm, silly, was stilted and came out in fits and starts. I felt my jaw clenching tightly. I made some witty remarks. I'm sure my MO is to go into the look how smart I am mode. He started to talk about his upbringing and how he grew up Pentecostal and how he would participate in morality plays from a very early age designed to scare people into evangelical Christianity. And I started to think maybe I had been wrong. Maybe he wasn't the uber hipster I had taken him to be. Maybe he was just a farm boy playing at city dude. Inadvertent pretension as a result of pure naivete. The only difference between us being that I had learned how to mask my self-righteousness through self-deprecation and he hadn't. He was as normal and sincere as I was. His life was not actually the ironic performance piece I had imagined it was. So we ordered an appetizer and one entree to split. Not only did I not want him to have to spend all his money, but I also was too nervous to be particularly hungry. I thought the food was decent, but pretty pedestrian. <laughs> I, I'm, I don't turn out too well on this, you guys. The appetizers were just a mess of flavors and the salmon completely bland, and I was struck with how easily those thoughts entered my head and how I doubted any of that occurred to Josiah and how petty I was somehow judging him based on the fact that the food that he didn't cook was shitty. And so I started to feel like a horrible, horrible, unbelievable, pretentious snob. All these traits I was attributing to Josiah, I myself was guilty of ten times over. I had those protective walls of judgment and condescension Condensation. There you go. Condensation. That one word. Up. I think Josiah was unaware of all this. I hope he was. We ate our food and he paid like a gentleman. And we left to the Jones Theater to see Andrew and Robert, who were uh, performing with Andy Jewett. And I love Andy, Andy, and Robert, so it was a great time. And there were lots of friends there and free beer. And I was surprised I didn't run into everyone I had known. I used to be in theater. Um, but I was nervous, unbelievably nervous, nervous like I hadn't been since high school. I was aware of his body language, and, and we were both exuding nerves, aware of how I might have been coming across as standoffish, closed off, but I was just incredibly, astoundingly nervous. This had been an experiment, and I am profoundly uncomfortable with uncertainty in the moment. It wasn't clear where this was heading. I wasn't feeling anything one way or the other. Part of me thought that a conclusion would be reached, that this date would decide whether or not I liked Josiah. And that was not happening. <laughs> All that was happening was nerves. Buzzing, hissing, mind-numbing nerves. I couldn't think. And then the show was over. And we left, and we walked to his car, well, his roommate's car, which he was borrowing, and it started to rain. And then it, we didn't realize just how much it was raining, and I got fucking soaked. Like, I just walked out of the shower soaked. And he did too, but somehow his curly blonde hair looked really good being soaked. And so we got in his car, and he drove into the parking garage where my car was located, and he put the car in park, and then that ritual began. The ritual that I still can't imagine Josiah has ever gone through before. I don't know why. The ritual of the date being over, and we're in the car, and you try and think of something to say about the evening. That might get, up, get brought up at subsequent... <laughs> that might get brought up at subsequent wedding, hosts, wedding toasts. It's hard to say, you guys. I know, I'm crazy, I'm insane. I think about that every single day. Will this be at our wedding? I, I'm insane. <laughs> Completely irrational human being. Anyway. <laughs> uh, I can hardly remember what was said. I know I was fidgeting and realizing he was trying to catch me in the eye, so I kept avoiding eye contact. Why? I don't know. I, I assume these things imply commitment. Eye contact, <laughs> eye contact implies a yes. 
perhaps me jumping ahead to my wedding in my head after one date can give you an idea of the level of rational implications I can draw from goddamn eye contact. <laughs> I said something like, well, uh, this was fun. <laughs> and thanks for uh, dinner. And it was, thanks, thanks for the date. Um, this was great. <laughs> Thank you. And... I was trying to be enthusiastic, but the uncertainty was unbearable. And he seemed to be totally calm, totally in control, and knowing exactly what the goal was, the kiss. Get the kiss no matter what. <laughs> uh, which I'm fine with. I'm totally fine with. Um, I was nervous and unsure and really thinking, well, this was nice, but it isn't going anywhere. And I mean, I don't actually like him outside of being a friend. I mean, yeah, this was nice, but it's the end. Definitely the end. But I mean, kissing is nice, right? Kissing is fun. And then he leaned in. And as, as soon as I made longer than two seconds worth of eye contact, sure enough, he kissed me. And I was short, it was short and tightly controlled. <laughs> and he immediately said... Sorry, I'm just losing my mind. He immediately said, that was a very conservative kiss. <laughs> and what sort of person says that exactly? Seriously, who says that? So my self-righteousness came out, and, and I said, well, I'm a conservative person, Josiah. <laughs> and it was true, and it is true. The person who was questioning his motives the whole night came roaring back, and I started thinking, what did you think was going to happen? How, what sort of person do you think I am? Do you think I'd give it up on a first date? How dare you? How dare you? And that's all true. Uh, it's all absolutely true, but there's something else that is true, which is that I have given it up on a first date. <laughs> It's taken a Herculean effort to overcome the self-righteous bitch who lives within me and I, who won't let me have any fun, but I have. <laughs> I've had sex. I love sex. Sex is great. I like to fuck dudes. <laughs> right? I had a fun... <laughs> Uh, uh, I, I love sex and all the sticky, gooey, uncomfortable, weird shit that goes with it. I love indulging in base desires. I love men. I love men. I love hairy, gross, disgusting, penisy men. <laughs> and so there's that as well. That's also true. And to be honest, on this particular date, I was not feeling that raw, unadulterated desire. I just wasn't. Maybe I was too caught up in nerves. I was surprised about how wrong I had been about him. I was surprised at what I'd learned about myself. And I'd had a fun time, but nothing more, really. And so to say I had kissed conservatively was incorrect of him. I had kissed like a lady who was not interested. Not really at all. And so there was confusion, and I told him to just wait in his car until I came out of the parking garage, just for safety's sake. And he thought I wanted him to park the car and come into the garage with me. And so he came in, and then I paid the ridiculous amount of like $32 for parking because I hadn't, been, I hadn't moved that car later, earlier that day. And he said, my hair looked good, totally soaked. And I said, thanks, and I was really nervous. And I hauled off and kissed him because fuck that guy. And I left. <laughs> I went to my car, and he went to his car. And I drove home, and that's that. Taylor Gonda. The Narrator's Podcast is recorded and produced by the Denver Diatribe. Check out their weekly show at denverdiatribe.com. The Narrator's Podcast is brought to you by these amazing sponsors. 
The great guys at Illegal Pete's and Greater Than Records, who in addition to providing rad burritos all over town, provide great local music and comedy. Check out the appropriately named Sexy Pizza at either of their locations in Capitol Hill or Old South Pearl, or on their website, sexypizzaonline.com. And finally, by the internet superheroes at Commerce Kitchen, who provide internet marketing solutions and search engine optimization for all your e-commerce needs. Check them out at commercekitchen.com. For more information about The Narrators and to listen to past episodes, go to thenarratorspodcast.com. Thanks for listening.